So in June time 2014, I found myself preaching in a very rudimentary wooden structure of a building north of Goma on the east side of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The United Nations still call that east side of the DRC, unfortunately, terribly, sadly called the rape capital of the world because even today, on average, there are uh, 60 rapes per day because of the civil war and the trauma that's taking place on all sides. And we were there to uh, check on the medical clinic that Elam were supporting as they uh, brought medical, surgical help to ladies who had been traumatized. And in that church building, there was about 300 women, lots of children, hardly any men. They were just packed in and on the outside also of that church. And I simply said, look, we want to um, hear your stories. And so after the service, uh, uh, just on the bend, there's a house and we're going to be, we're going to be there. We'll, we'll film and we'll we'll just hear your story. And I was thinking maybe nine, ten ladies may, might have come after the service. After the service, there was 200 women lined up because they wanted to tell their story. And I met this lady. And this lady has stayed with me in, in, in my heart and my mind since. And this lady is the catalyst this last week as I was preparing this message for you today because she told me her story that in March that year she'd been taken to be a, a wife inverted commas of the commander of one of the tribes and she'd escaped five weeks later and she'd gone home and her husband had rejected her and she, this was why she was in this particular village where we were working. And I said to her, were you, were you a Christian before this happened? She says, oh yes. And I said, and how many times had you been violated over those five weeks? And she said, I lost count after 60 times. And I said to her, what? What do you think of your God? What do you think of God who saw that, knew that? She really didn't understand what I was saying. And she said, my God was with me throughout every violation. And then she went on to say, when I returned home, my husband rejected me, kept the children, and kicked me out of that village. And that's what happens, the shame factor. I'm here in this village, I don't know anybody. 
I've got an infection in my stomach, I don't know what that is. I've lost everything, my children, my dreams. The enemy has taken everything from me, I have nothing left. But there's one thing that the enemy of my soul will never, can never take from me, and that is my eternity. And she spoke to me about a higher perspective that no one is going to reduce me down to their level of their world and categorize me by something that they want to describe when I have got a higher perspective of my personal situation. My message this morning to those who are in a set of circumstances which they wish they never had. To those whose dreams were not meant to turn out this way. Maybe your past looks better than your future and present. There's not much hope today. Here's the message. Jesus knows where you are. And there's no place where you find yourself in that he cannot and will not come to find you. After all the apostles had died but one, he's an old man and he is in a place where he does not want to be. And his name is John. He writes these words. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day I was in the spirit And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. John tells the suffering Christians that he too is in exile in the same situation that they find themselves in. He too is suffering. The island of Patmos was a place where Rome would put their prisoners and also John for the gospel as a punishment for being the church leader. Not there by choice. It's the Lord's day and John is not with his people. John is not preaching. John is not with his friends. He's on the island of Patmos. Patmos means my killing place. It's the place of Suffering. It's a place of containment. It's a place that is forgotten. It's a place where you think it's never going to get any better now. It's a place where all that's in front of you is your demise. It's your portion. And you may know an experience a bit like Patmos today. But Here's the message. Patmos can be a place where you receive and respond to an invitation 
to a much higher perspective on what is happening in your situation today. See, John will move from Patmos in this revelation to, in fact, Patmos becomes a springboard to a, to a higher place, a much higher place where he will return with the new heaven and the new earth. He's about to venture onto an incredible revelation where he will look back and say, I'm even thankful that I'm here in Patmos. Your painful reality can be the best place that you have ever been to because Jesus can find you, meet you, and show you some things. And this morning, whoever you are, whatever's going on, there is an invitation to a higher perspective that you have to respond to. It's an invitation, you see, to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. Old man John, his best friend, he would have been saying something like this, I haven't seen him for 60 years. The last time I saw him was on a hill in Jerusalem. I've followed him all my life and now I've just kind of like resigned myself to seeing him when I die in eternity. But you see, I heard a call. I heard something. And he writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like, it was like a sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. John kept looking. And behind the seven golden lampstand stood Jesus, but like he had never seen him before. Steeped in his scriptural culture, he uses a title which is all too familiar in the story of God. He uses this title. He was one like a son of man. God called Ezekiel that name. But by the time that Daniel comes along, that's been shifted so that it's never used for a human being, but it's used for someone who is divine, someone who is exalted, who is coming, someone who will land on earth and with divinity be embraced with humanity. 
See, Daniel did use that title. 600 years before Jesus walked the earth. Babylon is rising as a superpower and is expanding its empire. And the city of Jerusalem is taken, besieged and ruined. And that's how Daniel opens up, right at the beginning of that book. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That is devastation. That is humiliation that the people of God should be overtaken and overruled by the people of the world. This is where they were. But then a young man who's schooled by Jeremiah, he begins to see things. He begins to step into a higher perspective. He comes away from the devastation and his eyes are opened and he writes something like this. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom will, is one that will never be destroyed. Amen. Daniel gets a higher perspective and sees something which Jesus carries in his own heart and mind when he's just hours from his own trial and death. When the world is pressing in on Jesus, Jesus gets a higher perspective and sees what Daniel saw 600 years beforehand when in Luke 22, 69, Jesus says, but from now on, speaking of himself, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. He's quoting, friends, the vision Daniel, because Jesus, your captain, your Lord, your Saviour, is showing you and me that even when you are going through a cross, even when you are going through the mill, you're going through Patmos, and you're struggling, and you're wondering what is happening in your life, that if you look up, you can see your world from a higher perspective, which means you will get through your world. Amen? As I looked, Daniel says, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And you'll, you'll, you'll be able to remind yourself of John. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. His wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court was seated and the books were opened. Daniel 
So often seen isolated, standing for God in the midst of a wicked society where everybody around him is just rebelling against God and he just looks all alone. He gets a higher perspective where he can't count these numbers. So he's just writing down, well, thousands upon thousands ministering to the Son of Man. I don't know how many, 10,000 times 10,000 standing before the Son of Man. I can't count how many people 600 years later old man John Patmos I don't want to be here I'm struggling I'm contained I want to be with my people I'm not where I should be Jesus comes to him and and John lifts his eyes and he starts to have a higher perspective like his best friend Lord and Savior Jesus had like Daniel had and he begins to realize that Patmos is not the end for him but he belongs to another world and I don't know what your situation is I don't know what your circumstance is but it's not the end it's not over it's not it that's not it because if you are a follower of Jesus there is another world and you just need to lift up your eyes to see a higher perspective and don't let the devil say that this is it because it's not over my friends it's not over it's not over the purpose the purpose of your life is not here anyway it's not here the understanding of what you have gone through you may not get it here or what's taken place in my family or or your friends You may not understand some things. But as you rediscover Jesus Christ, and as you lift up your eyes, the other world seeps into your life, seeps into your brain, and the way that you think, and the way that you respond, and flows through your life to a world who needs Jesus. And people start saying, how do you live? How do you have the joy? How do you have peace? Where do you get that from? And you say, my eyes are higher than yours. I see what you don't see. Do you want to see what I see? It's an invitation, friends, today to see Jesus It's an invitation to see where Jesus is. Now John and the churches of his generation were in the context of ruthless Roman oppression. It was not easy. It was terrible. It was so tough to be a Christian under the emperor's rule. You may never have been to Rome to see the lavishness of that culture Um, If you have, you know what I mean. If not, you can just go online, you'll see it. If you just just tap in Domus Aurea, the golden house of Nero, just flip around on a few pages there, and you're going to see frescoes of animals and all kinds of creatures adorning their rooms. You go to the Palatine Hill and you'll be in what it was, the Flavian Palace of Domitian, the emperor of John's time. Domitian saw himself as both Lord and God and demanded that everybody else viewed him as Lord and God. 
In every public area there was a throne for Domitian to sit on as he was going on towards his great throne room. The public area was decorated not only with frescoes of all kinds of mythological creatures, but he also had built into the walls reflective uh, um, uh, tiles so that he, being the paranoid emperor that he was, he could keep his eyes on everybody. And I tell you that because that's the context of John's world as he steps into the vision. And it's important because whenever you have a vision or a dream or whatever it is, it comes out of your context. And God is speaking into your context so that you can hear from him. Not everybody can understand your vision, your dream. I mean, you may have had a, a dream last night and you tell somebody this morning, they're thinking, what is wrong with you? Something was, did you eat something? What's the matter with you? And such is the revelation, you know, we're all right on the first few pages and we get towards, you know, beasts and whores of Babylon and we're thinking, oh, give me a gospel. Uh, <laughs> give me something easy to read. This is weird. But out of that context, his world, John is having a vision of a throne room of heaven and he sees a door which is not thousands of miles away, but it's really, really close to him. You do know, you do accept that heaven is closer than the world. The world puts heaven miles away, but actually heaven's just a breath away. You know that, don't you? For John, it was simply a shift of his eyes, opening his eyes. And after this, he writes, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow sh that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Isn't it amazing that the throne that John saw is occupied? It's not empty waiting for somebody. We don't, we're not going to have another coronation for the throne in heaven. Amen. The throne seat of heaven is taken. And that's important for anyone who is coming under the attack of the enemy of their soul today. You need to understand and know that the throne room, the throne is taken, that God is seated on the throne today. No matter what is happening in John's world or your world, the message is this, that the throne is unmovable, it's unshakable, no one can take the throne. I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm in control. John, it's like the message to the old man John. This is just a simple message, John. John, it's okay. Whoever you are, if you're following Jesus, it's okay. It will be okay. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them, 
with 24 elders and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads and from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder and in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing and these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. This was not the throne of Caesar with all of his fearful power and might. This throne room made Caesar's pale into insignificance and what John saw and then wrote to the churches was a reminder that behind their very existence was something of unspeakable indescribable power I don't know which Caesar is camped out on your land on your family on your life but he is not immovable he is not unshakable you are worshipping someone who laughs in the face of such Caesar just don't you look upon your Caesar lift up your eyes to see God upon the throne amen So what are you intimidated by? What are you afraid of? For the churches, they would say, oh, John, we're really afraid about the falseness of man. We're really afraid of the Caesar's Domitian. We're so afraid. But look, what John saw was this. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And in the history of their faith, as they're reading this revelation or it being spoken over them, their mind is automatically shifted right back to the stories of their faith, especially Mount Sinai, when God came upon Mount Sinai and revealed himself as the God who will lead them in to the promised land. So why are you intimidated? Why are you afraid when someone behind you, why are you intimidated and afraid when you are following Jesus who intimidates the whole of the whole universe? What, what, I don't get it. Why are you so worried? Why are you so anxious about stuff and people or whatever when you've been worshipping Jesus who's the most fearful, the most powerful, the most dominant person in the whole of the entire universe. I don't get it. So shake it off. Shake it off. Get rid of your fear because it doesn't need to land on you or grip you. What are the questions? Why give up now? Why give up now? Because you may feel that you may have failed Jesus like Pastor Scott mentioned during the communion part of our service. For the churches themselves, they have been challenged by Jesus through John to repent, to wake up, to hold on, to return to their first love. And we know how tough it is. And you may be, you may be the greatest sinner in Kensington Temple. I don't know how we work that out, but you may be. John says, look up, see what I'm seeing in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. What's that? John is seeing the completeness, that's the seven, the completeness, the perfection of the Holy Spirit. In front of the throne, John is seeing that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and his complete work are in front of the throne. What's the message? 
Do not, do not give up because the Holy Spirit will complete the work in you. He is a completer, a finisher. He doesn't start something that he doesn't end up in glorifying God. So you may not be the perfect, you may not be the perfect man or the perfect woman, but I don't think God is ever going to say, well, I've just finished with you now. You're the only one who says, I'm finished. God will never finish with you because he never gives up on you. He will keep on working for you because he is the complete finished article, the Holy Spirit, perfect in working in your life. Amen. I have another question. You may have this question. How can I live in, in this chaotic, confused world of mine? For the churches, their lives were not easy. They'd suffered many losses. It's not easy in some places of the world. The Christians in northern India right now, it's not easy for them. It's not easy. Evil seemed to prosper for these people. And, and, and there are many theories about the sea. And in Revelation, the sea comes up various times. And as, as you get towards the end of, of Revelation, you've got beasts coming out of the sea and well, that's never good if you're at the seaside, is it? And, but, you know, I don't know what all that is. But what I do know, what I do know is that the ancients looked at the sea with chaos, confusion, fear. Oh, my goodness, it's the sea. So when Jesus comes and calms the sea of Galilee, what is he saying? He's saying, hey, chill out. I'm in charge of everything. Yeah, that, that's, the whole, that's the whole point. Look up if you're thinking, oh, how can I get through my life? Look up because John says, in front of the throne, guess what I saw? I saw a sea, but it's not the sea that you think. I saw a sea of glass, clear as crystal. You may be in chaos. It may be a chaotic sea tossing you around, but it will not win. It will be tamed because with a higher perspective, God wants to tell you this. I make all seas calm. I make them crystal. I make them still. Third thing out of my 30 points this morning. <laughs> An invitation to see Jesus who knows all things and invites you to trust him. So I know people personally who on the inside today are weeping because they, they don't understand. They've got more questions than answers. And they, they get through life and they go through their churches and they put the mask on and they worship and, and they, they pretend, but they're carrying the pain. Here's an invitation. John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. See, he saw the scroll but he couldn't see the writing. But it, it looked very secure with seven seals. He knew something was important in there, but he couldn't see it. God on the throne is the absolute ultimate answer for all things. And John sees a scroll that he is holding, an important scroll, whether it's about the future or the past or the present, 
It's pure wisdom. It's total understanding of everything, of everything that the throne can speak into because it sees all things and knows all things. All that you do not understand about your life is in the scroll held in the hand of God. You don't know why that person had to die. It's in the scroll in the hand of God. You don't know why this happened to you, why you're going through what you're going through. It's in the scroll in the hand of God. God, what, what's it about? God is in control of everything that you don't understand. And you, from your perspective of this world, you can't see. But as you lift up your eyes, you see that actually, God can be trusted because God knows all things. But no one was found to who could open the scroll. And John begins to get emotional and he weeps and he weeps. He's brokenhearted because he realizes not, not even himself being the best friend of Jesus, he thought, everybody thought that was the case. Not even himself could step forward and say, oh, well, I, I, I haven't committed sins so I can open the scroll. You know, I, I, I'm perfect so I can open the scroll. Not even John could be. He's contributed to the unworthiness, to the con confusion of God's beautiful world. And so he weeps, weeps continuously. He can't stop. He's broken. And then comes a message. Do not weep. Do not weep. See, see, look up again. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Have we not just been singing about that? Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John, stop crying for they have found someone to open the scroll. He is the lion. And in what has to be the most shocking, the most powerful and decisive of moments in the whole of the Bible, because on hearing of the lion, John now looks expecting to see the lion. And he looks and he sees the lamb. The victory and the power of the lion is won through the sacrifice of the lamb. But this is not a vision of weakness. That's not that lamb. This is a vision of a lamb that's been slaughtered, but it's got seven horns. Seven means perfect. Horns means strength and power. This lamb has got perfect power and perfect strength of a lion. This lamb sacrificed has got seven eyes, seven perfect eyes full of knowledge. This lamb is not just helpless and weak and pathetic. This lamb slaughtered, given his life, and yet within this lamb, has full knowledge and has full power. This is where Christ is seen the most power in weakness and oh, how powerful it is. Jesus the Lamb, Jesus who died for us, Jesus is here and you have an invitation today. It is an invitation to see Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to see where Jesus 
is, and it's an invitation to trust Jesus, for he knows all things about your life. And I don't know about your Patmos, but he does. But what I do know is that your Patmos does not need to define you or hold you or contain you because wherever you are, whatever it is, exiled 600 years ago or just hours before a cross or on the island of Patmos or whether you are broken or dis disturbed or whether you are lost or whatever is taking place, you're confused and you've got more questions. Jesus can find you. Jesus is here by the Holy Spirit and he's inviting you. Can you lift up your eyes? Can you lift up your eyes? Don't let the devil bring your eyes lower so that all you focus on is what is in your world. Can you not see that you belong to something higher and bigger? One day we will be there. But in this life we look to the hills where our help comes from. We look to heaven. We look to Jesus, who's in control of you right now.